Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. into the sky tonight there's objects out there and there's space that's basically what the world consists of and the two dimensions are within you and humans have become lost in one So we are here to realize that dimension. It cannot be realized in the future. It cannot be made into an object of a search because it's here now. moment you're looking for it, you create a future. Now what is future? It's a thought form. Apart from that, there is no future except as a thought form. cannot come except as now. So it's now 
the arising of space consciousness or the realization of space consciousness is here now. For example, it happens when you acknowledge not only the words that you hear. Acknowledge simply means pay attention. Notice. Just as noticing here, there are two dimensions just the same as when you look up into the sky at night, you will find there are two dimensions. There are the words here, and there's a silent space or stillness in which the words happen. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. Glad that you could join us. That was Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. It's interesting the way we start our conversations now. Are you okay? You have some food? Are your loved ones okay? Are you taking care of yourself? Please be safe. It's kind of a reminder that this is how we are to be with each other, pre-corona, post-corona however long it's going to take. But have you thought about at a deeper level what this means to us? What is this age and this situation asking from us as people? And I know that there are some reports in which the younger generation of the millennials is still going out. They don't think it's as serious as we're saying it to be. And I'd like to say that it's got to be serious for this particular political administration to take the measures that they've taken to be losing money. It's not an administration that cares for loss when it comes to the economy. We're over a period of time for decades and decades. We've pumped trillions of dollars in military. We weren't able to pump trillions of dollars into health care and having the proper health situations required for its citizens. One of the reasons why we pay taxes is to be able to assist in those things at a time of need. So there's a huge wake-up call on many levels. This disease is catching us in a level in which you let go of your name, your gender, your role, your religion, your nationality, your political party, and you come together. Even if you're in your own isolated pod, in your own apartment, house, RV, trailer, home, whether you're at a hotel, a shelter, doesn't matter. Everyone's affected. And nobody knows who's carrying, who has it, who doesn't have it. It's like we're all being told, go within. We're in this time because of our choices or karmas, perhaps. Maybe we haven't been looking at ourselves deeply and caring in the right way. And we certainly haven't been bringing the energy of God's love and light down. And so I wondered this morning in my meditation, we've been doing a meditation every morning at 4 o'clock for the students and 6.15, which we do regularly. In today's meditation, it was go up above, go up as high as you can, move your thoughts and consciousness away from the planet. Sit next to God and look down below and tell me, what do you see and what do you feel? Pandemonium. Lots of scared folks. Who's going to come and solve it? Is there one particular person that can solve what's going on right now? Can science solve it? Government's trying to give a band-aid to a sore that's going to spread. 
Religious doors are closed. You can't go to church. If you had a mega church like T.D. Jakes or Joel Oldstein, how many members can call them to say, pray for me, talk to me? Now it's virtual. T.D. did his ceremony last week, and he was just there in front of 100 or 200 people versus his 5, 10, 12, 20,000, globally 1 million. Even virtually, folks weren't tuning in as much. It's different. Why? Because when all the scaffolding falls away, she's still left with you. And have you lived with love? Have you lived with inclusion? Have you lived with purity and respect? Today's host, Frederick Joseph, is an award-winning marketing professional. He's also a media representation advocate and author of the upcoming highly anticipated book, The Black Friend. With over 10 years of marketing experience and a Forbes under 30 list maker for marketing and advertising, Frederick is also the sole creator of the largest GoFundMe campaign in history, the Black Panther Challenge, which ultimately generated over $43 million in earned advertising and media for Disney and raised over 950000 and allowed more than 75,000 children worldwide to see Black Panther for free. Frederick has been honored as a 2018 Comic Con Humanitarian of the Year Award and is a member of the 2018 Route 100 list of the most influential African Americans. He consistently writes about marketing culture and politics for the Huffington Post, USA Today, Now This News, The Independent, among others, and is a current contributor at Adweek. Today we welcome Frederick Joseph to the air. Hey, Frederick, nice to meet you. Good morning. The pleasure is all mine. Good morning to you. Like I said earlier, you okay? Your family's okay? Yeah, you know, I think that everyone is doing what they can. I spoke to my mother this morning, and she's worried about her retirement fund. And I think that it's important for people to realize that the impact of this is not just a matter of the infection, but some of the collateral that's happening because of the moment. So everyone's just trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's going to take us a while, I think, to get it out because as I sit in solitude and I think about the situation, simple answers come to my mind. But then again, I'm not running a country. I look at this as if the universe is guiding us to becoming more selfless. And it's as if, okay, so let's say I owe a million dollars in my credit cards, which I don't. And this situation has occurred. My interest rates are 20%, which is not going to be good if I don't have a job or money coming in. What do I do? Do I fall into fault and end up getting back credit? Or are we moving into a time in which the world just needs to start to say, you know what, let me help you, you help me. This kind of a bartering system where it's no more a system of greed, but it's just more a system of sharing in human need. And as much as I would love to see it, Frederick, I don't know if it'll be possible right, right now. But how are you feeling about this particular period that we're all in as a globe, as a world? Yeah, I hope that we can trend towards what you were just discussing, right? A system built on helping one another, a system built on uh, skill and personal self-worth as opposed to just numbers and greed. You know, I'm feeling hopeful in certain moments. I think that there are many young and also older politicians and leaders who are trying to do what they can in this moment. I think that some brilliant sparks have come from 
people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elizabeth Warren. I think that many Democrats have really worked hard in recent days to try to find solutions. But then you have our president and people who have said things that are not necessarily right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. let's just, you know, be honest about it. You know, said things such as the virus is the quote-unquote Chinese virus, which is not just xenophobic, but also racist and problematic. So it leaves me confused. While I am hopeful, I'm also weary and, yes, confused. I get that. And I think that's where we're also learning to use our own personal discernment and being able to recognize what is real from illusion. And maybe that's what it is. I'm finding it quite unique that people who I'm close to, I can't even touch much anymore. I don't know, are you a carrier? Am I a carrier? And I keep finding myself going inward as if this virus is representing my own spiritual shortcoming. And this time is saying, just cure yourself, heal yourself. This is your second chance to keep things going. To me, it's a fascinating time. Let's talk about you personally. You seem to be a high achiever just naturally. It just seems to be coming through (laughs) you just out of just pure blessing. So what's the source of your motivation and what would you actually say is your life purpose right now? Well, you know, I think that I'm someone who is very lucky. I've had phenomenal people around me, in particular phenomenal black women, You know, my mother, my grandmother, my fiance, all women who have inspired me and pushed me to work very hard. I come from very modest stock, if you would. Grew up in housing projects and dealt with intense poverty. And, you know, I knew I wanted more than that for myself and my family. That also gave me focus on community. I knew that I'd want to just be successful in the ways of finance and things of that nature. I wanted right. to be impactful. I wanted to leave a legacy, which is why most of my work is really geared towards helping people, even in terms of the book that I just finished and the next book that I'm actually writing now. I'm trying to build empathy, trying to bring people together. That's a good thing to do. I did a meditation CD entitled Inclusion Revolution Together with Love, and I Mm. partnered with a hip-hop artist. And the reason why I did that was because I didn't know much about hip-hop, and if I'm talking about inclusion, let me enter into a community of energy that I have no idea about, but I might have some stereotypical misinformation about that particular genre. I went in there, Frederick, and I loved it. Now I'm a lover of hip-hop. I understood the depths of it, what it offered. Some of the lyrics were great. Of course, I don't listen to all of them because my little virgin ears would just fall off. But (laughs) what it is, it's more like, wow. And that's what I think diversity and inclusion does. It opens you up. It expands you. It expands your horizon to be more accepting of God's children. And it brings to me forth some beautiful creativity and some beautiful stories that we could tell our grandchildren in generations to come. Most of us in our journey have experienced some sort of failure in our life. What has failure taught you, but also what has success taught you? Yeah, I think that failure has been one of my greatest drives. And I think that people look at resumes or look at accomplishments and assume that 
everything has worked. And I tell people all the time, most of the things that I've worked on at some point or another have failed. And I, one of my greatest failures was probably by not spending more time with my grandmother. You know, she passed when I was leaving high school. And though I was young, I look back on that as a failure because I wish that I had those days now, right? I wish I could sit with her and pick her brain. So I try now to lean more into people, to focus more on those around me. And I think this this is especially a moment where I urge people to do that because we don't know at any given moment, whether it's coronavirus or anything else, we don't know what's going to happen next. So taking the time that we do have and making it useful is one of the greatest achievements we can do as people when it comes to others. I love that you mentioned that one of the wishes that you had had is to spend more time with your grandmother. And that's something that we don't do is spend time with our elderlies. My great-grand-aunt is 104. She's in India. And when I look back at how much she has taught and offered, you're like, when that kind of a wisdom leaves the planet, you wonder what next do you do? Of course, you take on what they've taught you. But it's just that their presence, wisdom and purity and dignity created such a powerful energy on the planet that you just knew the world was a better place when they were around. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's amazing. And thoughts and blessings, that's phenomenal. We don't think about that enough, right? It's like right now, as I'm sitting here, I'm like, wow, I have seen in my decades on this earth so many different events that will be in history books. I've seen Barack Obama, like I've seen 9-11, I've lived through the coronavirus, the recession, so on and so forth. And when you have people who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, the things they've seen, the tales that they can tell, they're so important, they're so beautiful, and I think that we need to do more to take advantage of that. Yes, I agree. A while back, you started a GoFundMe campaign, and I'm sure you weren't thinking about millions, and it was to raise money for children from Harlem to see the Black Panther movie, which is a movie I could watch a million times. But it later turned into the Black Panther Challenge, and then even Ellen invited you on her show to support this effort. Tell us about the campaign. Like, what started it, and what were you experiencing as you started to see the funding going on? And then the third part is, how did it all unfold later on? I mean, how did you get the kids mobilized to go to the movie and so on? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. So I have a younger brother who I was actually at my apartment the night that I started the original GoFundMe and we were watching Disney movies and I saw how enamored he was. And I remember being the same way because Disney's been around forever. So it was around when I was a kid and I'm a comic book fan and I knew the Black Panther movie was coming out. So I showed him the trailer and his eyes lit up and I said, oh, wait, there's something here. There's something a little different. So I created the GoFundMe and I said, okay, I'm going to take some children who might not be able to see it because, you know, kids like him, I can take him, my mother can take him, any of our family members can take him, but there's so many children who won't be able to see that film. So my original goal I thought was not possible, to be quite frank with you. At the time, I had maybe 200 followers on Twitter or something like that, and I was mainly using that and Instagram as a hub to help me raise the funds, and it was $10,000. When I did the math, $10,000 would take about 1,000 kids, get them snacks, you know, really create an experience for them. 
And after raising money for days, I was emailing everyone, texting everyone, please donate to this, please. So then I started messaging or rather mentioning celebrities on Twitter and some of them began to respond. And next thing I knew, I think the biggest person to respond was Chelsea Clinton, who I had done some work with the Clinton Foundation prior, so she had a familiarity with me. And she retweeted it and shared it. And I went to sleep one night and I woke up and I had about 35 missed calls and about 100 text messages. People were like, you're everywhere, you're everywhere. What's going on? What's going on? (laughs) I had no idea what people were talking about. And I went on Instagram and there was my face, like on the news, on various (laughs) news outlets. And then more importantly, I went to the GoFundMe page and we had not only raised the $10,000, we had raised $20,000 to that point. Wow. Yeah. So the interesting thing is my MBA is in marketing. So I kind of have the foresight for how to run a campaign and how to scale things. So when the Ellen Show contacted me about coming on, I knew that that was an opportunity. Such Mm a major platform, you know, I said to myself, I think we can do more. You know, there's kind of a rule in sales. If you can raise $50, you can raise $50 million, right? So it's just a matter of getting the message out there, and it's not anywhere bigger than Ellen to do that. So I launched the Black Panther Challenge the day before and mentioned it on Ellen. We kind of skyrocketed from there. I built out a comms plan, a PR plan, sent out press releases, so on and so forth. It was just kind of doing my job, but on a personal level. And we scaled it over a month and a half to about a million dollars and over 70,000 kids. Oh, that's just fantastic. Are you still in touch with those kids today? Some of them, actually. You know, their parents more so than them. They've reached out over time. And it's amazing. I actually get messages every Mm -hmm. few weeks from some of them just thanking me, not only for that, but... In that moment, I actually, I guess, built my own presence then on Twitter and Instagram, things like that. So after it, I said, you know, now that I have a platform that's growing, I need to talk about things that are important. So I've been fighting for women's rights ever since and rights for the LGBTQ community and things that are just important to me. But now I use that platform and the platform has grown exponentially since then fighting for those things. So people usually reach out thanking me for continuing to kind of do the work. Good for you. So I know that you're in the process of finishing up this book and getting this book out. And I believe there's something else that you've been working on with your philanthropy called We Have Stories. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So one of the major things I wanted to focus on after the Black Panther challenge was that the Black Panther and all these other films and TV shows that are good for representation, they're moments. They're not necessarily movements. The Black Panther came and then the Black Panther went. And we need systemic change. We need young people and people in general to see representation of Black people in the positive light, of women of color, of the LGBTQ community, the community of people living with disabilities, so on and so forth. So I said, how can we do that? So I said, okay, well, I'm a marketer. What if we create an agency where I use some of my new cachet to get larger clients to help fund projects and marketing for projects from people who can't otherwise afford to this 
distribute or market what they're working on. So if you are a young Indian woman and you're working on a comic and there's no one to help you get that out to the world, we'll help you in conjunction with major corporations and things like that. Beautiful. Wow, that's fantastic. I believe storytelling is such an important way of communicating messages to help us change. Your spirit sounds so sweet, Frederick. (laughs) Thank you. I just have to tell you, you're just a delight. I really appreciate that. That means a lot. You're welcome. Diversity is important. Inclusion is important, especially in films and marketing. Now, because of this corona, I think a lot of people are in a strange way separated, but in a way emotionally together. No one's thinking about if you're black or white anymore. People are just thinking, Mm -hmm. will they have enough to endure the journey? What can we do, though? Let's say we're now in post-corona, which I don't even know if that's going to come anytime soon. But what can we do to increase diversity and representation during this time in which we're hunkering down? What would you suggest is an area that we need to work on as people? That when we can go out and we can congregate and we can go back to sporting games and concerts and movie theaters... What would you say we would have need to have done to be able to not come out the way we were before? I think we need to be thoughtful about inclusion, right? So for me, most of the people who I've hired have been women, not just in We Have Stories, but in other roles and campaigns that I've run, about 70% of the people I've hired have been women. Why? Because there's a lack of access for women historically in a patriarchal society. And I think us being thoughtful as people about who has access and who doesn't, who's being supported and who isn't, on every single level. I think right now even people are starting to frequent some of the Asian markets less because of xenophobia. Yeah. So be thoughtful about frequenting those places more and making sure that they stay open and they are well-funded. And if you see that there's a show starring young Asian couples. Watch the show. Give it a chance, right? Give it some ratings. Things like that. Sometimes just thoughtfulness around consumption, support, and inclusion. Beautiful. Makes sense. And again, one of the things I've been checking, I've lived this life. I mean, come on, I'm half black, half Indian, and I was raised in America. So it's just like, okay, it's just a (laughs) no-brainer for me to be inclusive in my lifetime. In addition to that, though, I still have emotional or personal attachments to perceptions and identities that I hold. And one of the things that I've done is to go inwards and really say, well, who am I? And I always Mm -hmm. end up with the answer, I know I'm a soul, and the soul is immortal and eternal, and I'm just playing this part out. So what virtue and quality do I want to put through being a half-black, half-Indian woman? What virtue and quality do I want to put through being an American, and so on. And that has helped me a lot to have a very eclectic and very inclusive group of friends and community, so to speak. Sometimes now that I have some time, I'm looking at my pictures, and I go, my gosh, you have everyone there. Sometimes you look at people's pictures, and you see only white people with white people. You see only Chinese people with Chinese people. And you see all the African-Americans with African-Americans. And I was looking back and I went, there's everyone in my vortex. And I think we need to do that more. We need to come out and explore more cultures, just like you said, for us to learn more and open up our humanity. 
the new book, which will be published next year, The Black Friend. Could you give us a sneak preview? Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with everything that you said. And I actually think that it's a perfect segue into the book because it was funny how the book came about. I was on the train one day and I sat next to this white woman and I was in a suit heading to the office. And when I sat next to her, she got up and moved next to a white man. And it's something that I've dealt with throughout my life. But for some reason on that day, it really hurt me deeply, actually. And I tweeted out, I said, you know, and it was something like, I'm going to write a book, how to be a decent white person or something along those lines. And the tweet ended up receiving tens of thousands of likes and shares. So agents and publishers are reaching out to me like, hey, you actually do a ton of writing for news outlets. Would you be interested in writing this? So I said, sure. And then we decided, my agent and I, the best place to come from is not a place of attacking or anything like that. It would be a place of understanding and trying to build empathy, right? So we said, okay, and how can we do that in a most effective way? So we said, what about a YA book, something for young adults, something that talks about my experiences from elementary school to high school and college dealing with microaggressions and sometimes even overt racism? And what does it look like to write that in a way where you're 12, 13, 14 years old, or even older, as you be an adult as well, you can read that and learn from my experiences. And I can give you a kind of a breakdown of why that was problematic and what you can do better. So beautiful. What a lovely message. You are trying and you're doing it. And how far away from completion are you in the book? So we actually just finished. So to the fun stages, I'm no longer writing it. I'm actually now waiting for the covers to come back. We're finding designers for that. And so I'm in the exciting moment. And, you know, honestly, I'm so thankful because the book, what I did was I didn't want this to be a conversation just all from my own voice. So I actually interviewed a lot of really awesome people in the book about their own experiences, people from various walks of life. So I didn't want this just to just be Oh, what one young black man says, I interviewed women, I interviewed men who are Chinese, I interviewed all sorts of people across the spectrum, just about their own history in dealing with problematic behaviors and how they would love people to be a little bit better. So I'm so excited for that to come out. Me too. I can't wait to get a copy. So what else can we expect from you in the future, Frederick? What's on the horizon for you? You said you had a fiancé. Is there a date set? (laughs) So we were looking at March of next year, but we're having it in New Orleans, and we were going to head there this month to go look at venues. So (laughs) that's not happening this month. Well, I'll shanty to that. Um, Yeah, that's a done deal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we'll see when that's happening. But within the next year, though, and outside of that, I guess on more of a career level, I'm actually sitting here looking at the document with my second book. So I'm working on that now, which is something I'm also very excited about. It's my first step into the fiction world. It's a story that's kind of based around things that my grandmother used to tell me when I was a kid, little tales she would tell me. So I'm expanding upon that and kind of doing that in her honor. 
Oh, beautiful. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. When you think about the soul, what's your interpretation? I would say love. When I think about the soul, I think that I think all people were meant to love. I actually have love tattooed on me, which is a long story, but that's what I believe. I think that we were all meant to love in some capacity, and one way or another, we're going to get to that point. Beautiful. And what's your definition of God? My definition of God is community. I think that for whatever people believe in, whatever religion or spirituality, I think that the driving force is community and togetherness. That is the ultimate form of seeing God, whether it's the community that you build within your home and your family or even communities that you build you know, with your listenership now, right? That mm-hmm. is God in that. Mm, that's beautiful. Is there a tattoo you've gotten that you wish you hadn't? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yes. I have many tattoos now, and I have some beautiful ones. And my first one was in my early teens. I snuck and got it, and my mom didn't find out for quite some time. And it's actually my name. It says Fred. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm going to probably get that removed at some point. You remind me of Omar Hardwick. He has so many tattoos going on. And, you know, you wonder which one did you think, like, could have put something else there. It's something I've always asked individuals who decorate their bodies with art of tattoo. What is it that made the soul choose to get tattoos? Is it a narrative? Is it a story? Tell me what's kind of the genesis behind it. I think for me, tattoos have been the representation of my heart, at least in that moment. And it's kind of like, you can tell how old a tree Uh. is by looking at its rings, right? And all of my tattoos have a story. My tattoos are my rings. You know, I have one on my chest, actually, on my heart, which is My mother's signature and my grandmother's signature, one on top of the other, it's actually my favorite because they are the driving force of everything that I've been. So they signed my heart. Mm -hmm. And for me, I love being able to say that to people, right? Without the tattoos, you don't have that conversation. So that's been part of it for me, the representation of my innermost self, I suppose. I love that. I was on a flight a month ago and there was this beautiful man sitting in front in the middle part. And I was struck by his tattoos on his arms, and I remembered asking him, why did you get the tattoo? And he turned to me very sweetly. He goes, why do you wear the dress you wear? And it was just like, because I like it. And he goes, exactly why I get my tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought, well, that was a simple answer. I get it. All right, listen, thank you so much for joining us. And please, when you're in D.C., can we do a book signing after all of this is over, when the book's out at the Meditation Museum? And I would love to have you back on when the book is out or when you're doing anything amazing. Just let us know. I really, really appreciate your spirit. Leave us with a website where individuals can get some more information on you. And do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me. This has been absolutely phenomenal, and I truly mean that. I think that this conversation has been kind of the food that I needed this morning. And and I would love to do a book signing. I would love to come back and talk to you at any point. In terms of a website, probably the best thing is Twitter. I have a website, but I'm most active on Twitter. My handle is Fred T. Joseph. That's J-O-S-E-P-H. 
And then my final thought is just take a moment for self-care, take a moment for reflection, take a moment for peace. We are in a time when that is of the utmost importance. So do that for yourself. You deserve it. Well, can we do that together now that we're on air? Can we take a moment of silence and love for our humanity? Absolutely. Let's do that. Blessings. I feel like the cure to all this mayhem is just become still and know that I'm God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Many blessings to you, my brother. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Frederick Joseph, everyone. For more information, just go to frederickjoseph.org. I so loved his spirit. You guys know how sensitive I am. He's a good soul. So find some more information out, and I can't wait to get a copy of his new book. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we are here to love each other the same, help one another, care for one another. Shine your light so bright, and every hour on the hour, I'm asking everyone, please take 30 seconds of pause, take 30 seconds of silence, And keep spreading your peace into the atmosphere because the world is going to need it. Here's I'm So Blessed by Karen Drucker. You take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.